Well, Brent is gay and Kaylin's gay and Clark is gay and Ryan's gay and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Issue 217. I'm Kaylin. I'm Clark. I'm Adam. And I'm Brent Wingate. And as you can tell, my singing voice is so good because I don't have COVID. This week, it's the first <laughs> podcast of our new year. Uh, it's a big week for the comic book issues with the end of Inferno, a very dramatic X-Men, and uh, something else I can't remember as I write this. Oh, wait, it's Thor. Okay, we don't have any news. Um, I forgot that I wrote that. Um, <laughs> what is going on? Yeah. Uh, hey, Clark's, no news is good news, right, Brent? Yeah, I love it. Uh, <laughs> Clark's got several things, and we may do a plug me daddy at the end. But first, some housekeeping. <laughs> uh, we're gay, but we don't let that define us except for in everything we do. And in this podcast specifically, let's get to the issues. That was the wishy-washiest opening trailer for this show (laughs) ever. Hey, it's the new year. It's that we're all still getting back. I like the quote that you didn't use. It said, no news, really. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I did say it right after Thor, but I, uh, I was more shocked by what I wrote. Uh, You know that everyone's had like the shittiest like week in the world of people being like, what do I do for a job? Because like, Happy fucking New Year, everybody. Congratulations to all yeah, of us. Happy New Year. We made it. Uh, we made it. All right. So the issues is our weekly recap of all things X, along with a few of our favorite Marvel House writers and characters. Uh, this week, we've got Inferno number four, X-Men number six, and Thor number two. Uh, let's start with Inferno number four, the big one, uh, written by Jonathan Hickman and illustrated by Valerio Chidi and Stefano Casilli. <sighs> Multiple universe, how could they get any worse? Magneto, Professor X, Cerebro are all dead. Matt, Mystique, Blood Moon, did Cypher act too soon? Nimrod, Robot Woman, Destiny in her head. Quiet counts of Moira's done, using Forge's human gun. Frost is in the power then, to me my X-Men. Hickman started Inferno. It was a simple premise that the mutants are infinite. It Mystique started the Inferno. There are no more rhymes because I ran out of time. <laughs> I, I oh. I'm, you've given me life and you've probably killed this podcast <laughs> I love, yeah. love it love right. it that love that moxie all right so there's a lot of loose threads that got picked up and others are more loose now than ever uh generally what were your thoughts on this issue and inferno in total Caleb. it shouldn't have worked as well as it did but I completely loved it. Um, I was, uh, I wanted to read it as early as possible this morning because I knew those fucking spoilers would be all over the internets. Um, and so I reread issues one through three right before to like, just get myself in the, in the, the mode to like really appreciate the fourth issue. And my God, talk about a Chekhov's gun uh, with four, Forge's weapon that was used way back in Uncanny X-Men around 190-something. The gun that zapped Storm's powers was used again to uh, (laughs) by Mystique and Destiny to to prevent Moira from uh, restarting the timeline once again. And it worked for me. It worked. And also, um, I know Clark's going to talk about this a lot, but like... uh, Here's to all the soft boys that are out there. God, I love Doug Ramsey. Fucking unsung hero of not only Inferno, but I just think of all of like the Hickman era of the X-Men. Just phenomenal. 
what a cool ass bitch. Like what a fucking killer scene of Doug showing up with Krakoa, with his wife. Um, I absolutely loved this issue and this whole little run. It wasn't even a mega series. It wasn't even that much of a really like, it was a mini series obviously, but like, my God, expertly handled from A to Z. Clark, I know you have lots of thoughts. I'm going to turn it over to do you. you. Do you remember when we were reading those like Death of Wolverine or Return of Life of Wolverine miniseries back yeah. three years ago or something? Yes. There was a Daredevil yeah. one, which randomly had a cipher in it as just some weird, gross guy living in some apartment. Just yes. yeah. look, basically. <laughs> uh, the fact that we can go from that mess to this is uh, amazing. I mean, I was telling Kaylin that Cypher was literally probably last year, my, my number 10 X-Men. He's definitely leapfrogged just because of this to my t- to my number five, I believe. And I mean, he's just fantastic. I, I just, as, as we know, I don't love supporting Mystique and Destiny as quasi heroes of a story. And since he like, just like knocked him for a loop, I was like, yeah. fuck yes. Here's the one I'm supporting and I'm allowed to, and I don't feel bad about it. Cypher brought a lot of uh, lead protagonist in an anime energy to this. <laughs> yeah. Like he's cock of the walk. He just shows up in a shady alley. Uh, it's he's the most his... sexual charisma he's brought to anything. He, what did he oh, yeah. say? He said his woman's a beast. And then he's got like um, a fucking weird robot monster thing with him. It's a very anime in every respect. His, his, what a, his, yeah, his what group. a team. Also, what a what a complete like just smack of Warlock saying self not friends. Like I never want to hear that from Warlock. <laughs> I would be devastated if he said self not friend. You know, that man made friends with a can opener. He will pick everything to be his self friend. If he doesn't Except like for- you, you're a pretty unlikable person. <laughs> yeah. This is this is really one of those things where like I know that we kind of said to like obviously with Hickman's writing for Inferno and then dragging out kind of this first act of Krakoa that, that you can kind of jump through from Hawks to Sword or sorry uh, Ten of Swords to this but I do think that there was a lot of stuff that you know not every single issue that's been going on all of it did really come together nicely not every single run but like so many bits and pieces like even obviously like we had you know Mystique's ongoing murder and death run issue we had Doug's like ongoing issue of growing to be this like man. Cause remember I, he had the conversation with magic during 10 of swords. Um, just like they've, you know, as per Hickman usually does. And as we've mentioned, a lot of our Hickopedias, like he leaves all these breadcrumbs and then they all build up to actually pay off, which is not something you really get to see a lot nowadays. And so, you know, this is his swan song. I'm sad to see him uh, obviously exiting the books overall, but this is such a good imprint to the next step. And like the fact that every book, along with Inferno, every like ending book has kind of kicked off its next, like, here's what's coming. I am more than excited to kind of see this like phase two now that that Inferno has closed. So I have a question. I have a question. So we ultimately found out that Moira, just like in her third life, in this life, she wanted to convert all mutants back into humans because she felt that that was the only way for them to ultimately win. Had that been set up anywhere before Inferno, like in any of like, like during House of X, Powers of Ten, any of the, uh, any of like Dawn of X or Reign of X books? I don't remember any specific notes. I just remember we all definitely thought we had that as like a leading potential. I think we all thought like, we all kind of said like, she's on the side of the humans. 
So it's not really that, but I, I don't think that there was any elements in the book that really led us to believe that that was the plan all along. So it was a kind of cool, not necessarily a surprise because they didn't really even do that much exposition on why her, what her thoughts were around it. Um, but I do love this evolving explanation of like robot, human, mutant, because I think it's also such a cool introduction of AI obviously is top of mind for a lot of people in terms of automation and job replacements and all this sort of shit. So I think it's such a cool natural evolution of like, where, where are we watching this third party? It's very, I have, <laughs> this is so stupid. I was like, I've never played StarCraft, but I think that's what StarCraft is like. Aren't there three warring parties? Like there, there's like robot, there's like, there's loaded. No, I, no, that's not, that's not what StarCraft <laughs> is like at all. Really. We got to build more pylons is all I know, but no, I don't, yeah, no. sorry to go off topic of your question, Kalen. What's, uh, what do you guys think? Well, I, I am very satisfied that Hickman closed the door uh, for a lot of future writers on doing something with Moira and resetting things. Uh, I think that was a very smart way to tie the hands of future creators who might want to do something wacky that would ultimately undermine the story. Um, yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead, Brent. Oh, no, no, please. Please, I was going to go. No, I was, I was going to say, like, you know, keeping Moira alive is really smart. I can see future writers like making like linking her up with Orcus or what has remained of Orcus, you know, uh, specifically yeah. like what with, you know, the revelation of Agent Brand from last week's sword, um, you know, like see if there's an alliance there. You know, I, I really I, I reread like Hox and Pox like almost every year, almost, you know, every six months, just because it's it's such a rewarding experience. And there's like stuff that like I I pick up that I didn't read, you know, the previous version It's almost like rereading Watchmen for me like there's just so many interesting details and like I want to kind of go back again to like like the legendary House of X number two where we got to see like most of Moira's like previous lives obviously life six was like left for a later issue uh in Powers of Ten but um you know how all of this kind of le leans up like you know obviously life one was like normal life two she died on a plane you know to try to come to America to meet Charles Xavier uh, and then, you know, life three is where she, you know, tries to like cure the mutant gene. So that was, you know, I'm answering my own question. Like that was like her ultimate goal. And then she tried to deviate from it in like lives four through nine and then kind of came back to it in life 10 and found like a zigzaggy way of, of, uh, of getting there. So, um, you know, I'm I, like, I not only do I want to reread Hoxpox, I want to reread like all of Dawn of X and like Reign of X now even the stuff that didn't necessarily uh, add to the story to lead up to Inferno. Yeah, because I don't think, I mean, even if there might have been some oblique reference or thought that we might have had that Moira might still have the same motivation, to me, it's been so long forgotten that for her to come full circle back to this, I thought was very exciting. But it may be like justified under a new umbrella rather than the kind of weak version that we read, you know, in, in the, her third life. It's like, oh, she's just a villain to be a villain. Um, I wanted to note the illustrations, especially of Nimrod, for the amount of expressiveness that they offer mm -hmm. that character. I think his showdown with Magneto uh, was somewhat predictable as an ending, but still very, very satisfying as like a as a from a game theoretic perspective. Adam? I was just going to say, I, I loved that sort of like, well, we got to have a third act like finale and like what a cool battle that was to just have it two on two. I thought the dialogue was great. The character motivations were great. This wasn't like, and I, I appreciate that everybody likes mm -hmm. their, you know, Captain America picking up the hammer, all the X-Men coming out of a portal. Like 
I love those big endings too sometimes, but it's nice to have these like finales that feel really grandiose without having to have these cataclysmic battles, just like very cool, very passionate uh, fights between people. So I thought they handled that uh, impeccably. I thought it was really well done. And Karima is a fucking like terrifying, all, all four of them were just like pushing their powers to the limits. And I loved it. Clark? Well, now that we saw this Karima, now we know that they're different. I want to see human Karima, the one that was, you know, as of, Brian Wood's X-Men run is back to being human again. I want to see how that works out. Um, I stopped listening to what everyone was saying. Um, did you guys talk about <laughs> Emma at all? Talk about what? We did not talk about Emma. Go for I it. I liked uh, what she was. I don't it, it, I don't think when we started Inferno, when she first gets told that we, she was going to go this far, the opposite way of what they were thinking, just in terms of, you know, what, I'm going to fuck you guys up and now I'm going to tell every single person in the quiet council what the deal is. Like she did not like the fact that she was out of the loop at all. And I mean, I, I, it makes sense for her. I mean, she does not like to not be in control. So the fact that she was lied to for who knows a year, I don't know. Or, you know, the entire existence of everything <laughs> is <laughs> fucks with her quite obviously. I, well, I thought that was a very cool, uh, obviously, like, epilogue almost of her obviously being like, I told everybody, but just them, like, doing the same paneling of that, her, her resurrecting Charles and uh, Magneto and being like, things have changed. I was like, oh, this is so fucking cool. Perfect tie into Immortal X-Men, obviously, like, this, this, like, dais of, like, super characters is everything we've been asking for, and they set it up beautifully, whereas I think if it, like, had come up earlier than what just happened, it would have been a disappointing display of these characters. Whereas now, especially with all of them having all this information, it's going to make the machinations and sort of this like royal court uh, battle, I think really, really fascinating. I really hope we get something real with Exodus because he's the one person on the the quiet council that I don't think has gotten any sort of functional, what are you, what are you thinking? Why are you thinking this? What's your place on this council for? Taylor, I agree. Taylor. And I think, I, I feel like um, I'm really looking forward to Immortal X-Men. That might be that and X-Men Red maybe my two um, most uh, anticipated series for the mm -hmm. Destiny of X uh, era of the X-Books next year. Or this year. Sorry, we're already in 2022. As we said, <laughs> Happy New Year at the start of this podcast. Um, we so, recorded yeah, this six I, months ago with the, we got the issue early. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hey, yeah, totally. We're early adopters. Um, but the, the the thing that I wanted to mention is, you know, obviously Hickman, this is his swan song for the X-Men for right now. You know, he had a three-year, three-act, like, plan. At some point, I would love to know what that is. I don't know yeah. if they'll ever do it. Like, Claremont, like, for example, you know, like, was basically driven off the X-Books in the early 90s, at least the first time he was doing it. And then, you know, subsequently, like, talked about his plans, which sounded really cool. And then when they try to do that in X-Men Forever, like, I was like, oh, that, that's not really great. But uh, apparently, awesome. like, um, Jonathan Hickman was uh, interviewed recently by Jay and Miles on their podcast. And one of the things he talked about he really wanted to do was, like, an Imperial Guard book uh, with both mm -hmm. uh, Sunspot and Cannonball joining up with the team. You know, Cannonball is married to the current mm -hmm. Smasher uh, that's on Imperial Guard. And I've said this before, like, Imperial Guard, like, they're, like, Marvel's way of doing the Legion of Superheroes, but in, like, the, you know, the current era versus in the far, far future, there's even, like, you know, like, analogs between some of the characters, and Hickman, at one point, before he, um, uh, you know, uh, agreed to the X-Books, there was rumors of him, like, working for DC and taking over the Legion of Superheroes, it's, like, another, like, title he really, uh, uh, really, really loves, so 
I would love to just kind of see like what what could have been, but I think ultimately this is probably the best way to go because uh, while I'm happy to see the culmination of a lot of stuff that he seeded, you know, two, two and a half years ago, uh, I don't want to see this era end, you know, like I'm really happy with Krakoa. I'm really happy with, you know, that there's a quiet council. I'm happy like there's like different like elements of how to like push uh, the mutant agenda and mutant culture uh, in this world. And if we go back to like the, the fucking school in Westchester and, you know, whatever else we had before, like it, it'd be a regression and I would be I would be just really upset as an X fan. Adam? I was just going to say what a high note to leave on too. Not that I think that the, all the incoming writers, the existing writers and all the great creators that are already still there. Like though, I think there's lots of good like next steps. I'm really excited, but I mean like, man, like what an amazing thing to leave on. And I think it was also very clear too that Hickman's original vision, I, I feel like was generally still being told and anything he was still attached to. And you could tell there were kind of like these evolving ancillary stories around some of this stuff. Like, especially I think of the new mutants run still really fun. We talk a lot about how much we enjoy VDIL's writing um, and characterizations, but like you could tell that paths were diverging where not everything was really telling this larger than life story. And I kind of like that they're relaxing it enough to kind of see what happens next. And I, I hope they, they still have that excitement and, and uh, bravado to pull this all together to keep making these seismic shifts. But it, it was definitely lose, starting to lose its tether, right? Because like we were reading Trial while also reading Inferno while also reading all these issues wrapping up. So it was really hard to, as you know, continuity queen over here, very hard to keep track of what was really happening when obviously Inferno seemingly seems to be the part that caps off everything leading into the next books. But I'm, I'm glad that they're maybe shifting away from this. Like everything is interconnected and intertwined because they were starting to lose that thread anyway. You're such a continuity queen. You're always continuity interested queen. in making sure things are in the right place, that they're not a mess. They're organized. <laughs> Clark, God. Now what um, I was, well, my question is now that we saw all these corpses of everyone in Orcus, how does that work with what's going on with X-Men and the whole, um, we'll talk about it in a second, X-Men number six, the Orcus situation that happens on Phobos. Well, do you want to just jump into X-Men the, yeah, six. let's yeah. combine yeah. All right. All right. Next song, X-Men number six. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's uh, written by Jerry Dugan, illustrated by Pepe Larraz. Uh, the human Felong lands on Phobos and begins colonizing it for humanity. And Captain Krakoa joins the X-Men team. But really, it's just Cyclops. Let's start with uh, the implications for Orcus uh, and what that means. I didn't. Well, I mean, it was just people from Orcus, right? It wasn't like the entire Orcus operation that was there with Magneto and Xavier. Yeah, I, I feel like Orcus has become um, like it's it's less top down and like they've created like a structure that has a lot of different elements it's like hydra you know like yeah, yeah. you can kill off baron strucker but like you know two more tentacles like show up you know so which makes sense because like orcus uh if you remember back from like you know like house of x number one uh you know like orcus is made up of shield aim hydra you know armor uh you know sword you name it uh alpha flight obviously so um i i, I think I, I think they're they're gonna exist as like a threat but it won't just it just won't have maybe some of the people that were happened that like were littered from um yeah. inferno number four i guess we just lost so many main orcas people we i mean last week we lost gyric this week yeah. we lost wherever the fuck that dude is i don't really know who i was just about to say what main orcas people <laughs> that guy that that guy the guy who was there and then they blew him up he was one of the main two that like i 
Well, there. I don't know. It just and now they're like. It just feels like they're just shuffling the deck with. They don't. That Orcus doesn't have enough interesting people. It what has happened to that? two cool machines, and the people are just fucking whatever. Well, On that Agent note, Brand. Oh yeah. Be a cool, a cool yeah, but she's not really cool. Yeah, they need to remove some lamos in order to bring her in there. But she doesn't what even like them either. She's weird... gonna be mulling her way around. What happened to that weird Orcus doctor that like was eating at a table with his family and then poisoned his family or some shit? I like think it was an X Men Four. I went back to it because I was Isn't trying to like get my bearings. What's up? There's, I only remember there being two that actually mattered. There was some woman and there was some guy. And I thought the guy just got his burnt everything up this time. Well, I don't, yeah. that's, that's the problem. These people don't fucking matter. They're irreplaceable they're well, shit. Okay, so the, so the guy they're ta- that Clark just mentioned is the one that, like, uh, Karima, the one that came from the future, she's the one that influenced to create Orcus. And then the yes. woman, I guess you should really remember their names, but they're kind of forgettable. She's the one who transplanted her dead husband into Nimrod. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so she's so they're, they're yeah, they're just kind of around. But again, I think like I think Hydra is the model that we gotta look at here. Is yeah. like, you know, they're gonna have interchangeable people and then they're gonna have to like kind of restructure their leadership. But like people like like uh uh Phylong, who we're gonna talk about in this issue of X-Men, uh are going to be, you know, related to it, either like in, like integrated into it or ancillary and like have like uh similar or shared goals. Yeah, I was curious if you guys think that we really need a lot more, uh, any more villains in uh, Orcus for it to remain interesting as an operation, because to me, it seems more like an existential threat rather than a specific, uh, it's like a concept. It's humanity, yeah. yeah. It's like humanity's attack. I do think that from a, from, from a concept narrative perspective, no. From an interest perspective in this, yes. That I think what it's really missing is probably what they did with um I I think it was Shield. It was Hickman's like Shield yeah. run where they had Those all these warriors. like heavy hitters that showed up, got their own dialogue, their own scenes, their own like we need more of the villain's perspective. We're always getting Orcus in like the shadows versus like what the fuck is Orcus doing on a day-to-day basis? Like when are they clocking in and clocking out? And what are they up to? And what are their they're really like. We don't, I don't want them to be like 80s villains of the week. I want to know what's going on with them. When like, did they get to take rest breaks? What are their <laughs> hours like? All right, so how is their future? OT? Yeah, how's their future workplace going with COVID? Is it affected? Are they in the no. office? Are they out of the office? Well, I think that's why Secret Warriors work so well in that situation is they had they had characters that had histories before actually the thing, which was good, mm-hmm. getting like, the Contessa and stuff. But also we had new characters that at least had, were interesting enough to be functional characters that we were moderately interested in as opposed to these people who, as we know, we forgot of their fucking names hundreds of times. <laughs> well, I think the issue is, um, you know, Hickman, again, like did a really great job overall of letting other writers like kind of develop their own voices and, and you know, uh, integrating that into the books that they were writing. But I think for most of the Orcus stuff, like the high command of Orcus, it's like Hickman's like, this is my, my creation, my baby, I'm going to write it. Yeah. So moving forward, I think there's going to be, I'm hoping that there's more like other writers like, like can use some of these characters and we can bring in maybe other existing Marvel characters. Cause like, for example, in the last few issues of sword, uh, we had James Hudson vindicator guardian, whatever the hell he's going on by, by right now being mm. uh, courted by Orcus to be part of this. And like, you know, he's a good guy. Like he's been in out like the good versions of alpha flight. And um, you know, like he's somebody who is just trying to not, not that he's anti-mutant. He's just worried about quote unquote mutant supremacy and so you could bring in like, you know, a fucking Doc Samson 
or you know maybe some like characters that aren't being utilized in other books or maybe underutilized and bring them in to be you know like there be kind of like a hero slash villain like collective like to be like the illuminati or cabal or whatever they want to call it as like the new high command of orcus with the uh, or with the Orcus explosion of all those people obviously dying, Nimrod, Karima, or future Karima, really like taking it to the streets and being like, "Fuck you guys." Are there human characters already that have like an inherent dislike or distaste for AI? Like, might Orcus now, knowing that there's kind of like a battle on three fronts, I wonder if like maybe that to your point of like James Hudson, like. I could see it evolving where it's like, yeah, we're fending off mutant supremacy while also being thoughtful to our human interests to protect ourselves against AI and automation. Like it, it might make Orcus a little bit more not evil villain of the week kind of stuff. I mean, they don't know that happened though. Oh, that's fair. You're right. So they don't know the robots did a number on them. Um, I, I mean, Hudson isn't involved anymore after the whole Australia blowing up situation. So I don't, and I, I don't think they should go with some sort of quasi hero situation because it's too hard it, to sell. That, that felt unnatural as fuck, especially with direct. <laughs> it, it felt very strange. Um, I mean, there's a lot of I don't know villains who hate machines, but obviously there's a lot of anti. What about what? What about someone like Namor? who has been courted many times by, you know, Magneto and Charles Xavier to one join the quiet council. He said, no, he's like, I like, I'm above you. I'm not part of this, but like, you know, Namor hates humanity too. There's no way in hell he's going to join up with them. He'll side with the robots. (laughs) Also the Namor is going to be used heavily by fucking Jason Aaron and his bullshit. So he's not going to be involved. (laughs) Bomb. Okay. So, Um, going back to Phalong, um, he has now uh, made a big step for humanity in conquering one of the moons of Mars. Um, he also fires laser beams out of his mouth, which is great. <laughs> um, but I guess the most important thing for me is, do we need to call Blurred Murdoch space lawyer to get back Nightcrawler's body, <laughs> which is currently being held hostage on Phobos? Um, I love that he's actually they actually had a picture of him once again. So good. It was a, such an important completely character. Out of the blue. Completely out of the blue. Those um white pages are very important to advancing storyline, but they're only the best when they show him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so is there anything so, you guys uh, uh, can make of uh them having Nightcrawler's body? Is it just one more piece where they might discover that? Uh, the mutants are able to resurrect or is there any other way that they could use this that's interesting i think it was more just like a display yeah i didn't i didn't presume it would be too much more than that although it would be interesting that they wouldn't put two and two together that like a nightcrawler is still running around (laughs) although i guess he's been mostly on krakoa since way of x he hasn't done very much in the field yeah maybe they go ahead do 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 does wider society know that nightcrawler died um during second coming or second coming second coming or whatever remember when he got <laughs> no. our bastion shoved through his body uh, i feel i feel like they i feel like they do because uh like it's been a while since i've read second coming but there was like a big to do about like his funeral and he was mourned and like they kept him they kept this version, the 616 version of Nightcrawler, like, you know, off the chessboard for a number of years. Like, 
they brought in the, the Age of Apocalypse version of Nightcrawler in Uncanny X-Force. But, you know, uh, I mean, they basically have to pluck him from heaven in Jason Aaron's amazing X-Men run, uh, which was like a good, I want to say four years after Second Coming. So I think there is, there was, it was relatively common knowledge, at least through like the superhero community in Marvel, that, that like he was gone. My frustration with this is that well, that is one of the tiny ones is that there has been com- constant comments throughout the comments throughout the years that they're like X-Men always come back. They say it within the actual fucking comics and like actual characters saying it like they mutants always return somehow. So like, isn't this just another time? I mean, whatever. I don't know. I, 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 I you know, I, I kind of shared your sentiment like a few issues ago, but I think the difference for me now is those were like random happenstances. Oh, it's like when a hero dies, they're going to find a way to bring them back, but it's always kind of random. Like creating a systemic thing where like oh, these know. mutants now have a, right. a, a like a cheat code. It's yeah, like indeed. they can, and like, what is that? What is that? You know, I know we they started to explore this a little bit in, in Way of X of like, what does it mean to be functionally immortal? now you know and so if you're like a human being just a regular person in 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 marvel uh in the marvel universe then like you know oh well mutants now have another advantage there's another reason for me to dislike them beyond the fact that they were born with these abilities that i wasn't born with uh and they're you know some of these abilities can be super destructive and really harmful to me now they have immortality essentially yeah, but they don't know the, the the article he's writing is just about the fact that Cyclops is dead, and and the, the body. It like this is it, to to the writing. It could just be this is just another happenstance. Like if they actually said like here are the eight bodies that we like killed up in the space and handed to them, then it's a thing that I feel like is warranting a story within this universe. This is I just another. Maybe, yeah, they may this, be leading up to that. Scene, oh no, hundred percent. But it's, does he yeah. know that right off the bat? It seems like it's just a knee-jerk story that not going to get a Pulitzer. It's like that accident happens all the time. This is just oh hey, now this time he's come back from the dead. Isn't this a great story that happened three weeks ago with Blank coming back from the dead? I mean, um, I mean, it could not, be like it could be like it could be like Watergate, where like you know, like you they were peeling an onion back at first. It was just about a break-in, mm-hmm. and then they realized, oh, okay, they're resurrecting Nixon. <laughs> every zombie every Nixon, yeah, did zombie I, Nixon's the worst. Did I miss something? Why going on to the Captain Krakoa thing? We all kind of already joked about and talked about it was going to be Cyclops. How come he can fly? And also, um, that was it. I was just so when he could fly in the <laughs> issue, I thought it was Exodus for a second, and I was like, oh, finally, a use for Exodus. Like, I just thought they were randomly going to throw Exodus in, and then it was like, no, it's Cyclops. And I was like, how come he can do all this stuff? Maybe Sync is helping him do something since we saw Sync in there. Sync's got oh. some cool things. Sync could or Forge could have given him like little mini jetpacks. Yeah, a little cute jetpack. Yeah. his feet. Yeah. It's such a, it a was such of... like a rush thing too that he's like, they're like Cyclops is dead. <laughs> do you so... feel like Sunspot being in Sun? Excuse me, Sunfire. Like we haven't mentioned his name, even though he was the second most important um, character in this. I liked it. I thought he was a. I thought it was a good use of the character. Yeah. Like I thought him yeah. and Phalong, the inter- the storyline's just weird. It was kind of like I don't really know where this is going. I also just don't understand. Like if you could belch fucking killer beams out of your mouth, why are you worried about mutants? 
Like, what? what is the difference? It, to me, it just kind of felt like it was he was he's, it was like a placeholder situation that could have been Polaris or it could have been Gene. I feel like yes. Sun, it, it didn't give Sunfire anything special. Except for you the could, one line that was like, I'm Chinese and you're Japanese and we used to kill each other. I was like, didn't okay, love that white line. man who wrote that line. <laughs> so, yeah, that was really cringy. I, I will say that this was my favorite issue of X-Men thus far. Um, 100%. But like, because a lot of stuff that was building up from the first issue, like started like paying off uh, and stuff that I wanted to see. But I think, you know, Jerry Duggan, Jerry Duggan um, is talented, but I think one of his flaws, besides him being an old white guy and, you know, trying to talk about like race, racial stuff, um, is he's really not great at juggling like a bunch of characters and team books. Because Marauders, we saw this problem too. As much as we enjoyed the series overall, you know, like, why was it, it was mostly about Kate and Emma, you know, with some others just thrown in every now and then, like, Pyro was off the chessboard for mm-hmm. a good chunk. I forgot Storm was a member of the book until she yeah. left, you know, <laughs> um, and so I think this is going to happen, like, he's got his favorites, he's going to focus a lot on Cyclops, he'll do some Polaris, he'll do some Gene, you know, this was definitely Shiro's, like, uh, his, like, feature, but, um, there wasn't a, a lot to him. I, I enjoyed seeing him. It was great seeing Pepe Laraz draw him because he looked fucking cool as shit. And the way that the, the flames like showed up on Phobos was awesome. Um, but I think that is a flaw in his writing. But nonetheless, like I think the, the, the Quiet Council stuff with Cyclops, like that's the shit I wanted to see in X-Men since the mm-hmm. first issue. Like what, what is the friction between the team that uh, Scott and Gene set up mm-hmm. with the Quiet Council? I hope that continues. <laughs> uh Phalong's like uh you know manifest destiny of going after the stars and then like encountering the Iraqis fucking great yeah. like just awesome awesome stuff and if they can keep up that momentum you know the next several issues like the the inherent flaws in the books will be just you know minor to me sorry Kaylin what you really wanted from this story was uh Cyclops having to go in front of the quiet council and then them tell him to do different characters. You're going to go out there and you're going to be Carrot Top. Get out there. You're <laughs> Captain Krakoa. <laughs> Deal with it. And he's like, I don't want to. Like, next we're going to dress you up like a clown. I, but the, I do have a question about that. Um, joking aside, it's like, what, what leverage does the Quiet Council have over Scott? He said that I'm creating a separate like a separate thing away from Krakoan politics. Like, cause we need it. We need to be heroes again. And like, why would they get to vote on the inclusion of him as, as Captain Krakoa? Like, I, like, I don't know if that's ever been explained. Like how, what is the, the political leverage that they have over this team that's based out of New York? Yeah. I don't know. Don't know yet. Oh, fine. All right. Let's go into the last comic. It's Thor number two. Two written by the lovely. No, that's not Kate. what it is. Thor number. Oh, number sorry, number twenty. twenty. That's right. The zero. Uh, <laughs> written by Donny Cates. Oh, there goes that zero. Uh, and <laughs> illustrated by Nick Klein. Uh, someone's running amok with Molnir, and the Ten Realms aren't too happy. Who could be doing this? Is it the God of Hammers? Who could it be? Or should I say, who? What could it be? It's Mjolnir, the electric hammer itself. Uh, not a lot of physically happened in this issue other than Thor 
assaulting and yelling at a boomer for fucking up the world. But <laughs> how important is this uh, revelation that Mjolnir is a person? Clark. I mean, I like the fact that this is blatantly like the sins of the father kind of situation. The fact that every single thing he's done for the last couple of years is just blowing up in Thor's face and he has to handle all this bullshit. It's, it's very Trump Biden to me where Biden's <laughs> having to suffer through all this nonsense because of this monster created all this shit. I, I mean, I'm happy with it. I like the fact that Mjolnir is portrayed as a woman. I, I, I find mm-hmm. that interesting. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy with it. I like everyone getting fucked up. Kaylin. It feels very much one in character of uh, how they've been portrayed in previous comics, Jason Aaron's run, Walter Simonson's mm-hmm. run, you name it. But also I think what I like is Kate's is really tapping into the myths and not necessarily, you know, like the stories of the myths, but of, you know, how they were portrayed, you know, in, in, in those various myths, you know, like Thor becoming the all father would have that kind of interaction with Odin. Like they have this like oppositional, like, you know, defiant son. I'm big man in Asgard now. You're going to have to fucking bow down, old man, you know, and Odin basically saying, what are you going to do? Cry to your mother? Like, obviously, like that wasn't in the myths, but like I could I could see like, you know, if you did a modern interpretation of, you know, the Norse uh, myths, like you would definitely see that. I I think I think this book is really good uh, and I wish more people were paying attention to it. Um, I feel like. Kate's has his fans, including those of us on this podcast. There's a lot of people who don't like his work, which I'm, I'm, I would just like love to hear why, why people have an issue with it. Um, I think I could see, I, I like it. I particularly this, these two issues so far I've enjoyed. I can see that by playing with all the myths and I get it. It's fucking, we're talking about, you know, gods and interplanetary beings and all this stuff. It does feel weight less besides the relationships so like a lot of the battles and a lot of the the actions i think of the i forget like the the dark winter storyline i was kind of like eh, this like world eater that was fighting world eaters like against Goliath. i forget the, what the thing's name was but this one in particular that that's kind of interesting but yeah black yeah exactly black winter they're like creating a lot of these like mega villains that are still like kind of villains of the week so I'm interested to see where they go with Mjolnir just because it's been such an ongoing storyline about him not being able to play with it, lift up the hammer, other people lifting up. Like if they go more into the character development stuff, I'm really interested because um, he's always writing it really well. But I do feel like sometimes it's such a massive scale. It can like, it loses me sometimes in terms of, you know, what I'm really focused on and important. Like, you know, Nidavellir is destructed. Like he got back to Asgard, ruined. Like it's 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 just like everything is such high stakes almost all the time. I'd like some more quiet moments in some of the the, the storytelling for Thor. Yeah, I mean, really I, quickly. I think it's the fact that there are there's been three intangible villains villains so far. Like there's not one that's like here's just some fucker that shows up and just starts yeah. random things. It's you know, anyway. Sorry, Brent. The Donald well, Blake uh, stuff was fantastic though. I loved fucking. Right, that was amazing. To add to both of what you're saying, I think it's that really for the last few and you know in, in other sections, it there's not a lot that actually goes on as part of the story, and that it is as you were saying, Adam, kind of relational. So that when you read these together, maybe they'll have a different feel. That the stakes will fit right. That the characters and what what's actually happening thematically all works a lot better together. I think it's that people want more to be going on issue to issue uh, rather than, you know, Thor fights his dad again 
um, rather than anything else. I don't know. Any other thoughts on Thor? Uh, I'll just say the art, Nick Klein, just mm-hmm. chef's kiss. Um, and I, I will just say that about all three books. Um, I think one, I'm always happy to see Pepe Raj back. Uh, when he's not drawing the X-Men, I, my, my interest starts to wane when he's drawing it. Even if the story is just fine or mediocre, it still looks amazing. And both yeah. Stefano Casali and Valerio Shitty just fucking destroyed it on Inferno. Just so, just a great week for some good looking books. Fantastic. Really good stuff. All right, let's move on. Uh, I think Clark's got some things. No point in watching out because if you dodge one, you're going to get hit by the second one. Clark? Yeah, I'm going to start off. Obviously, it's January 5th and we're going through New Year's and everyone has uh, resolutions and stuff. And I was wondering, just going through some of the characters we've been dealing with for the last week, what some of their resolutions for 2022 would be. Are you ready to go through a few? Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right, let's start off with, um, we just had to deal with uh, Moira McTaggart has just wandered off. What do you think her, her resolution for the year will be? Well, I think she's found a new life for herself and she's going to eat, pray, love, just go around <laughs> the world, travel and learn who she really is as a human. Uh, I think she's going to plagiarize Wanda Maximoff and say, no more mutants. Uh-huh. Ooh, I, yeah, I think she's going to say her resolution is to get a job at a human company and take down the moon. Orcus is accepting applications. Do you think Orcus has a job application website? Probably. What, are you like looking know. to jump and like, yeah, HR I would now? actually like to work for Orcus. All right, we yeah, saw him for a quick, quick second after his um, murdering of his girlfriend. What do you think Colossus's will be for the next year? What's his game plan? Um, how do you say uh, betray from inside in Russian? Because I think that's what it is. I would say don't get manipulated by other people so much. You know, don't let other people get inside your head. Mm-hmm. Like your little Russian <laughs> nesting doll. All right. Now that we just saw Cyclops is Krako- uh, Captain Krakoa, what do you think his resolution will be? Learn how to fly without Forge's little booties. Uh, Learn how to do more visual prop comedy. <laughs> All right. Well, he's not here today, but what do you think Ryan's resolution is going to be? Uh, speak louder. Make sure to speak up. <laughs> oh, a thousand percent. percent. Yep. Well done. Well done. All right. I think what it's going to be to mention hotels more. <laughs> oh, okay. He doesn't do it enough. He's going to eat spray love. He's going on his own eat spray love journey. Yeah, yeah, should we make a resolution for him? Yeah. (laughs) Quit the podcast. (laughs) All right, I've got two more. Um, Three, excuse me. Um, What do you think Cyphers is after we had that whole, not coup thing, but, you know, tell everyone fucking what's what? Ooh. I think Uh, it's to get a threesome going on with Krakoa and Blood. Blood moon. I don't think that's a resolution. That's happened. Happening. Yeah, okay. we, we just it's witnessed a, the foursome. We just witnessed a, a, a power yeah. quad get ready to fuck. Um, and then I'll just do one more actually. What about that lady who's on the uh, who's sitting next to Pixie in the new Legion of X cover that Kaylin really <laughs> wants to know who she is? What's her resolution? Uh, who am I? Why am I in this book? Yeah, I was gonna say get be known. <laughs> that's what she's aiming for. <laughs> You gotta yeah. be no one on Krakoa. All right, I'll do one more. <laughs> God. Um, obviously, Destiny of X is coming up. So, what do you think Destiny's is? Uh, you think she makes resolutions? She's just like, I wish I had done this. 
Like she already knows what the outcome of her resolutions are. Uh, I think she's going to come up with more savage lines. Like, would you like to be, to, would you like me to tell you how this is going to go? Like in the second issue of Inferno. Yeah. I, vote to- I need, I need more. I Whatever people need to learn from Hickman, it's to just write tons of HBICs in all of your content. Cause Inferno was so fucking good because Destiny, Mystique, Emma, Moira, every single one of them was just like, fuck you. Karima. 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 The women ran the world for those four issues of X-Men and I want to see more of it. I actually think that we've gotten some evidence that maybe it should be um, uh, work through Julia Child's cookbook. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Clark, you got a second thing? Uh, Yeah. So in um, recent news for this year, um, all the Winnie the Pooh characters are finally in um, the public domain after the 95 years have gone up. And people say this is kind of like the test to see what happens with Disney and Mickey Mouse, because Mickey Mouse, I believe, is 2024 when that goes down. Even though, of course, every trademarks are going to cause most of the stuff that people want to do to not be able to fucking do. But anyways, um, thus far, um, not until two years from now. Also, does Winnie, does Tigger is is not in the public domain until two years from now because he showed up in the second book. So anyways, oh. you are writing your own fucked up book for the Winnie the Pooh characters, minus Tigger, because he's not in the public domain, but you can use him. We'll just say it's 2024 now. Please give me just kind of like your, you know, bullet point synopsis of what your story is. Ooh. Keeping in mind, you can't use the Disney-ness of it all. So Gopher doesn't exist because he is only a Disney creation. Is Pooh the you? only accessible one? Like, is it Pooh and it, Christopher Robin? It's everybody, everybody except for Tigger and Gopher. Fascinating. Okay, so Eeyore, Eeyore is, is able to do it, so... Yeah. Everyone okay. was great. It was everyone's in the first. Oh, yeah. The big, the big money one. Eeyore. Eeyore is like probably number three. He's probably number three of most sold. He's, he's so big. Character. He's so big that like in Austin every year they would do like Eeyore's festival, which was a plate. Like they would just have like a giant fucking festival where everyone's doing drugs and just <laughs> hanging out. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I do have, I have, uh, oh, it could be like usage of anything. I was, Mainly thinking of like like Wicked, I want to write like a deconstruction of Pooh, but it's like they kill Christopher Robin and then they realize they basically become uh, the Puppet Master movies. So they're like constantly just like tooling around town, like Piglet's just fucking slitting throats, and Pooh's Pooh's <laughs> driving cars, robbing banks. Uh, the rabbit's like stepping on someone's head multiple times until it explodes. Like, just give me take it Who to the had- extreme. Who had $5 on Adam going grimdark with poo? <laughs> because you're now $5 richer. <laughs> I like that. I was like, I was like, it's a deconstruction, but it's just people, them murdering yeah. everybody. There's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> to learn. It's Zack Snyder's poo, basically. Uh, that's actually, Adam, that's actually what he says when he's dismembering people. It's just a deconstruction as he hacks off their arms. <laughs> See, I want it to be a story where basically it's Christopher uh, Columbus, Christopher Robin in a mental institution, and he, he, nothing these things have been real, and he's just slowly going fucking crazy and sees them everywhere in the hospital until he just starts slitting people's throats. Much Wasn't like Adam. the plot of the actual movie that they made more recently, where it was Ewan McGregor played like their Christopher he did Robin? Not, he did not end up in a middle hospital and, and, and start killing people. <laughs> is that Dr. Sleepless, the sequel to the... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Dr. Sleepless. But it's also it's also uh, plot points in both Star Trek DS9 and Buffy the Vampire Slayer where they were like, 
are they actually in just a, like a mental institution yeah. and like have imagined their whole lives? I think it'd be great if he, uh, you know, spent some time uh, cooking his way through Julia Child's uh, entire cookbook. <laughs> I wanted you to just say cooking his way through Julia Child's. Child's. Just it's just Wayne the Pooh just ripping her open and just cooking parts of her body. Is it is pretty. Back, is she is he going back in time or is he digging up the body and then? Just well, starting... he's yeah. There are not going to be any organs left after she died, what, nine years ago? Yeah, well, maybe he creates a, a body return potion. <laughs> it's what he does. He gets that from Al. You're, you're you know, right. time, time travel is not real, but body returning potions are. <laughs> Galen? Uh, so Pooh uh, moves to San Francisco and discovers, hey, I'm a bear after all, and joins the bear, joins the bear community there, uh, does Folsom, <laughs> does like you know all like the, the queer the queer stuff it's like we are a queer podcast let's actually talk about like how who just it like you know like uh completely like embraces his queer identity that's yeah, who does who doesn't call it piss play he calls it honey play honey play get, oh, give honey me some play. honey mm. no Rabbit's he's in the one who play. always was gay rabbit is gay as fuck Every second he's in, he's just like all the Disney cartoons, uh, Disney. Um, excuse me. No, and like and like, yours a sad boy gay. Like listening to like you know Bjork and like fucking like uh, uh, Tori Amos all day. You know, uh, wishing that he was still on his Tumblr. scared twink. Yeah, and Tigger is a circuit game. This is the queerest yeah. folk reboot we've been waiting for. I mean, the story writes itself. Like, they're all gay stereotypes. Queer, <laughs> queer as folklore. There we go. Yeah. Christopher Robin's the a weird construction we've been looking for. It's, it is amazing. What about, oh, Al is the, is the old queen. Actually, you know, he, he's the old queen. This is perfect. It's a, it's a movie musical. It's Christopher Robin just got it's like 90s he just got his first job in san francisco he shows up off the bus and what does he find in castro but the entire poo cast yeah. and also <laughs> poo because he's into is this christopher robin who's like a 25 year old like ripped guy you can't just yeah, be he, a oh he just that's yeah. what it is he's a he's a ex-gay like or not a new gay like he he came out older so he's like trying to find his way and he's like meeting he's all these twunk. fun imaginary characters. He's a twunk. Exactly. I, do, I do want the twist reveal at the ending to be that he's still uh, a, a teenager who's, who discovers he's gay and he's humping animals in the middle of the woods. <laughs> in a uh, mental institution. <laughs> and he starts slitting everyone's throat. <laughs> uh, and, and Piglet has completely transformed themselves into nasty Piglet. Yeah. Uh, with harnesses and like jock straps. Poo, what's your kink? <laughs> oh my god! Honey what is pots. This Honey pots. Okay. Hey. All right. <laughs> Speaking of Folsom, let's move on to plug me, Daddy. As always, uh, to wrap up, uh, we get to chance to talk quickly, highlight something we've read, seen, heard, experienced, wanted to share with you and our listeners. Um, my, I'll go ahead and start. Mine is that uh, this past weekend, I went to the opening of a new gay bar in DC called Kiki. It uh, was fun. It smelled like a Home Depot, but had a really <laughs> great space. And I hope that they uh, uh, get a lot of business and do drag shows there because it's, it's cool. a very does large it, area. Does, does it smell like wood? What did it smell like? It smelled like wood, yeah, and sawdust. 
<laughs> they just finished like construction. I'm sure. Oh, like, there was a guy who was using a morning saw. wood. Uh. Hey. <laughs> it's just a construction zone where Brent brings people to fuck. <laughs> Think it's a gay bar, but it's no, no, no. It's called Kiki. It's really fun. Come on. It's where, he brings his, the- it's where he brings his stuffed animals to hump. Yeah, <laughs> I, I put the backhoe on the backhoe. Caitlin? So uh, on Tuesday night, uh, Brent, Adam, and I, along with a lot of our friends, went to go see Once Upon a Time, One More Time. Uh, Once Upon, oh, Once a, Upon, one Upon, Upon a One More Time. One More Time. I fucked it Either up. Once Upon a One More Time, the, the Britney Spears musical, um, a friend of ours ended up having a lot of extra tickets, and it's... Uh, before it goes to Broadway, it's here in DC, which is a test kitchen for a lot of musicals. And I wasn't expecting very much. I like Britney Spears just fine. I think a lot of her songs are a lot of fun. You know, I, I literally walked in with no, like no idea that it was going to be like almost like a, uh, a really female empowered deconstruction. This is like the magic word of the day, uh, de- uh, deconstruction of, of fairy tales. But my God, it was really delightful. Like more than I expected it to be because um, you know, the songs worked really well. It was super, like, the, the talent was clearly there. And I think when, if they can keep this cast uh, and, like, go to Broadway with Broadway, like, uh, level production values, like, in budgets, yeah, it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So if you're in the D.C. area, watch, like, try to go see it if you haven't already. And then, like, once it goes to Broadway, like, make a trip up to New York once we get past all this COVID shit and go see it. I've heard from multiple female friends of mine um, that it's fucking dreadful, and they thought it was on the new, on the nose, like female empowerment in like a fake, cheesy, awful way. Well, it's when- very, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a two and a half hour musical. You're not, you're not going to get into second, third wave, fourth wave, fifth wave feminism. Well, they it's didn't very, like that. It's very surface still- level. You're still trying to convince people that there is a difference that women's experiences and men's experience are different. Like that musical is made for them. Like it's not, nobody's learning anything new from the group of us that went to go see it, but it was like good to see that so prominently displayed as opposed to going to see fucking a real Cinderella show at the, uh, at a, at a local theater. So no, I can appreciate. Cinderella's in it? Yeah, it's yeah. it's based off of all it's based off it. of all the open source fairy tales. So you've got Cinderella, Snow White, everyone that's like public public access, basically. Witty the Pooh, <laughs> but not Tigger. Yeah. He's not ready yet. He's not. No, ready. No, no. So take note, Clark. Uh, the two men, Kaylin and Adam, think this is great for women. They better <laughs> like it. <laughs> I just love no. I actually loved that. There's it was the campiest fucking thing I've ever seen in a musical. They're like screaming and shouting and one of the, the Cinderella throws her shoe at the screen and then the screen has a giant shoe that moves in slow motion. Meanwhile, all the other actors and actresses had like filmed themselves. They're on the screen floating in midair. It breaks, they all start floating away. I tell you, I mean, I was a little bit high, but it was the most, it was the most insane camp experience I've ever seen. It on a didn't podcast. actually happen. Adam, I, yeah, I, made I it know up. you were high. It was just, it was just me and Kiki with bread having sex with stuffed animals. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I am gonna, I'm gonna plug that I saw uh, Encanto. We watched it on Disney Plus, and it was actually excellent. It's really good. It just came out. I think it's in theaters and on Disney Plus. Um, super fucking cool. The music's amazing. It's by Lin Manuel Miranda. Most of the music, there's a song, Don't Talk About Bruno. I think that's what it's called, but that's basically the chorus. Just such an imaginative, uh, the, the, the art is amazing. 
storyline's really nice and the the characters are all very fun so um i hadn't watched a disney movie in a while i missed out on luca i think when it came out and still haven't really watched it so it was just nice to have a, you like, haven't a, seen luca yet no <laughs> god damn it you? also has something about bruno in it so maybe exactly just- no there's apparently disney hates bruno because then there's like a i think there was a thing back to the not the aristocats but maybe something else where there's like a dog that's complaining about a bruno or bruno is the dog i saw a meme today and i was like oh man nobody likes bruno hmm. clark do you have a plug i don't know no great all <laughs> right well, that, i'll tell that you what our- i don't like i don't okay. like the show bluey it's a fucking D- uh, disney crap fest piece of shit where bluey and fucking banjo are these stupid little australian <laughs> cattle dog kids and they just fuck with their father so much and they're nasty and shitty and awful and i hate them and they, my, my my niece keeps getting all these like starts it's, 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 she's wonderful and then suddenly she becomes like a big bluey bitch suddenly and you're like where'd you get that from and you know it's fucking bluey because she's my, just a, oh, my niece it. and nephew also love bluey it's like one of their favorite shows i haven't seen enough of it but like they talk about that shit all the time so it is spreading like wildfire hide your kids from bluey oh my god right. okay related related to that like kid stuff on sesame street have you seen the elmo like rocco like feud Who's i rocco? saw a meme about that it's a literal rock and elmo fucking <laughs> loses his shit every time rocco's on the screen and like 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 for what one scene it's like oh um can i have this oatmeal raisin cookie and they're like no i'm out it's like well how about this one no no, no it's rocco and he's like rocco doesn't have a mouth how is he gonna eat the fucking cookie? <laughs> oh it's like, and this no, is happening. I mean, yeah, and this is happening on Sesame Street. And I'm like, this is the most like demented, deranged, <laughs> wonderful thing ever. Like Elmo just losing his mind did, over a fucking rock. Did Tim and Eric get the opportunity to write an episode of Sesame Street? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, that's been our episode. You can find us on Twitter at Homo Superior X and Instagram at Homo Superior Podcast. Rate and review us if you like us. We've been Homo Superior, the only podcast that recreates all the recipes from Julia Child's cookbook. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.